All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Faultline podcast. My name is Alex Davis. I'm the host today, and this is accompanying Faultline 896. Joining me is Faultline editor Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And my esteemed colleague, Rafi Cohen, who is uh, helping me put the final touches to our latest reading TV <laughs> for forecast. Hello. So it's been it's been a mad few weeks. I think we're all now. We don't have any holiday for a while, do we, boys? No. Um, no, maybe. So, <laughs> maybe. Unsure. That's what calendars are for. Um, but we, we got back. Faultline obviously took a, a, a week off last week. Um, and it was, it was a bit slow um, on the news front for myself, Tommy. But you went to an event, another online event. So PCS 2021. Another one. Yeah. Well, while all eyes were on Mobile World Congress, which is back in business this week, which was great to see. But um, there was a yeah, really low key event, as you said, PCS Picture Coding Symposium 2021, which was actually due to take place, funnily enough, in Bristol, where we're based. Um, and it was a, a super technical event. I'm not going to pretend that I understood half of what was going on. We're talking professors like, presenting their research papers on video coding techniques and convolutional neural networks, that kind of stuff that turns simple minds like mine to mush. But I, I caught a, a fascinating talk from the founder of Bitmoving, um, uh, Christian Timmerer, who doesn't get out much in the usual video circles, I suppose, that we frequent, because he's rather busy being an associate professor at Alpen Adria University in Austria. So it was great to to hear from him. And I, well, I think this is really important is to listen to what the academic circles and communities are talking about, because that's the real bleeding edge of technology. And this is where so much of the innovation comes from. Um, and we we don't tend to hear about it until much later when it's when it's further down the road. So I think it's quite important to have an ear to to the ground at these kind of events. And even if um, admittedly, most of it is over our heads. So I'll try to kind of summarize his 45 minute or so presentation without getting my knickers in a, in a twist. Um, and it, he he kind of put real emphasis on things like uh, edge computing, where he sees more and more content heading. And of course, machine learning, which is already a, a core part of some of the next generation video codecs that that we write in, write about, and and that will play an even more important role in the development of of new and improved codecs in the future. But his main research topic is in the area of multimedia systems, specifically looking at the challenges and trade-offs there. And and in 2019, um, they came up with the Athena project, which is sort of a loose acronym standing for Adaptive Streaming over HTTP and Emerging networked multimedia services and Athena allows you to do application oriented basic research to address current and future research and deployment challenges of HTTP adaptive streaming or HASS and uh, emerging streaming methods and this can be broken into its three constituent parts which is content provisioning content delivery and content consumption and he kind of he probably spent the majority of the time talking about um, provisioning and, and could have gone on for hours, I expect, um, on the other two topics. And provisioning is where the quality improvement takes place with things like per title encoding, which he referenced, which is something that Netflix introduced a few years ago. And his research is looking at different flavors of content slash context aware encoding and content adaptive encoding and quality aware encoding, which are all kind of similar but kind of not at the same time and, and it's getting um and then it got a, a little bit more more heavy in the presentation he was proposing uh new methods for things like fast multi-rate encoding so where you would usually encode the highest or lowest quality as the reference first 
his proposed method encodes the highest quality first and then uses this information to encode the lowest quality and then uses data from the two encodings in a double bond approach for uh, coding tree unit search ranges to encode other quality versions. So um, yeah, you still with me? Because it, um, it gets a little bit heavier um, as we went into some more um, uh, terms I, I hadn't really come across. Uh, fast multi-encoding encoding was one which uh, combines multi-rate with multi-resolution approaches in X265. And then onto another branch of this called fast multi-rate encoding with machine learning or abbreviated as FAMEML. And the proposed method uh, here trains a convolutional neural network with encoding information obtained from the lowest reference quality representation and uses its decision to encode dependent representations and I think that's probably a good place to stop because it's been a long week and um, we yeah we haven't touched on the other two research areas of, of content delivery and content consumption but there's loads more detail on that in the the full story so I encourage you to go and read that but actually I just just like to mention one of uh, Timura's comments about edge computing which which I found quite interesting he sees obviously he sees that becoming more important in his various research topics but I thought it was um, quite intriguing that he said that the term edge can mean a lot and that's something I can empathize with is that when you speak to networking people in the industry they don't seem to have a, a sort of understanding, a common understanding of where the edge is. And I think that's something that's probably going to keep changing and evolving as as we move on. So, yeah, that was a, a quick summary of PCS 2021. Lovely stuff. Yeah, a lot of uh, three letter acronyms in there. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of stuff to follow up <laughs> on, I'm sure. Um, CNNs are witchcraft. Um, so, you know, don't touch the black magic. It's oh, yeah. lead you astray. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tommy. Um, I think you. I need to catch up on that, um, dive into a few of those sessions. Um, so we'll move on to the next long form article. And this one is uh, it's from Rafi. And Rafi, you've been following advertising again. And uh, this week, it's Google's cookie delay sees its tail between its legs. So could you tell us more on this one, please? Uh, yeah, sure. So the third party cookies were meant to be gone forever by the end of 2022 um, and last week Google announced that they're not even going to bother to start phasing these out till at least halfway through 2023 at the earliest um, and then they're hoping that they will be gone by the end of 2023 but it's kind of all still up in the air because a lot of it really depends on the UK regulator and I'll get onto that a bit later um, and I guess the industry reactions were some relief at kind of the extra buffer time um, gives you know our tech vendors and publishers and everyone more time to sort out, uh, you know, get all their things in order and ensure they're getting data from other places. Uh, publishers, they mainly want to focus on gathering first party data and vendors kind of want to update and hone their tools that uh, use audience data from elsewhere. Um, and then one of the other key things that happened was a lot of the main ad tech companies saw their stocks go up, you know, double digits in the following days, I guess, just because of market confidence in the in the slightly longer lead up time. Uh, the Trade Desk, Pubmatic, Magnite, criteria they all saw their stocks go up a fair bit um, but kind of more importantly than that there's been quite a lot of dismay at Google uh, kind of has just shown that it wasn't really ready for its own roadmap and didn't really have uh, everything in order and there's been lots of criticism of its privacy sandbox initiative uh, lots of people have said they've been really unable to properly and effectively test the replacement features that are meant to be uh, yeah replacing the, the cookie 
Um, and yeah, kind of what's really extra embarrassing about this whole thing is that a lot of it hangs in the balance because of a regulator, you know, which is Google's arch nemesis. And it's not even the US or the EU, you know, the two big ones. It's just the UK. It's the Competition and Markets Authority, which is relatively tiny. And the fact that that's holding back the entire third party data uh, process across the world for Google is pretty embarrassing. Um, the CMA, which is the UK regulator, are saying that the cookie replacement can't compromise its competitors um, and that they can't bring in the replacement until that's sorted out. And I'll get onto the specific specifics of that in a bit. But just to kind of look at what this all means, like what what the players in the video ecosystem actually have to do, you know, when the cookie fades out. Uh, so for one, publishers need to work on gathering their first party data. Uh, and for the most part, the best way to do that is logins and obviously SVODs have logins but obviously SVODs also don't really have ads there are a few exceptions such as like HBO Max and Peacock both have ad supported tiers but for the most part if you're logging into something you're not expecting to see ads and kind of when you're going to watch something free such as Pluto TV most of these websites don't really have logins because they don't want to you know it's not like the content offering is that amazing they just want they want it to make it as easy as possible for you to be watching things on there but i mean one of the things we may be seeing in the in this kind of longer buffer time is that some of those able platforms do start requiring logins and so they can keep better track of what content you're watching and build a picture of you that way um the second thing people can do and that they've really been failing to do is to get to grips with the proposed replacement which is something called federated learning of cohorts or flock um and it's essentially just based on machine learning. It will assign you into an ever-changing group of different cohorts, different people that have similar browsing activity to you, but they're all very temporary and supposedly they're not uh, tied to your ID. But many have already said, like most of the leading browsers apart from Chrome and um, uh, quite a few tech um, organizations have all said they hate it. They think it's not secure and it's ripe for predatory targeting. Um, if people are looking up sensitive things on their browsers. Um, and yeah, on top of that, uh, regulators think it puts Google in charge of all the online tracking. You know, if, if Flock, but whereas, you know, Google didn't own cookies, but if Google uh, is in charge of Flock, then it is essentially has a monopoly on all third party tracking on the internet, even if it is anonymized. And uh, the CMA aren't going to let this go ahead. Uh, which is having knock-on impacts around the world, unless they think that it's not going to be at detriment to Google's competitors. And then the final thing people can do in this time is uh, kind of explore what the ad tech community and the measurement vendors are doing. And there's obviously loads of things happening at the moment. Um, Unified ID 2.0 is being accepted by most giants in video. Uh, there's things from measurement vendors like Comscore. They have their predictive audience segments that they create from loads of third-party uh, data. And you can buy those and apply those to your own inventory. And then there's also vendors like LiveRamp, Live which are creating safer ways for all these bits of data to be shared. They've got their authenticated traffic solution. Um, but ultimately, most people were really fighting to be ahead of the curve before this delay. Uh, I don't think any sane person in video was still wholly reliant on cookies. And so rather than this, you know, being a, a huge seismic thing that's going to have to shift the way everyone acts it's just really a bit embarrassing for google yeah um who, who knew that a uh, yeah an overhaul like this uh, would, would not go smoothly um <laughs> i guess uh, smacks and, of hubris uh, i didn't know if you were going to mention it yourself rafi but i think it's important that the the listeners know that you are currently sporting a uh, orange uh, hairdo 
I, I can't confirm this is, this is true. <laughs> he's, Rafi is now part of Orange Gang. And, uh, this, this podcast is brought to you by Orange Gang. Um, it's, it's good to be orange. <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's relevant for the pod. Nice. So segue, orange, French, broad peak, right? French, CDN specialist. Nice. There you go. So that's what I was writing about this week. Broad peak cash orchestrator completes 5G tests for MEC future. So um, MEC, uh, M-E-C, multi-access edge computing. Um, you might have heard it uh, more often as Etsy MEC, because that was the standards group it kind of evolved out of. And this um, goes back to something that Tommy was talking about at the beginning, which is the definition of edge. Um, so in terms of MEC, as the name kind of implies, multi-access edge computing, um, what this essentially was, and arguably still is, was an attempt to move computing closer to the edge devices, so the devices at the network edge um, that you know you can get latency improvements and whatnot from. So this had most traction from mobile network operators who wanted to put the computing itself uh, next to or inside the base station. So that would mean small computers running in power and possibly heat constrained environments that would help you do you know quick traffic routing and um, things like AR and VR where where latency needs to be quite short. There were lots of sort of internet things, um, sort of ideas for using that. But the point there was that the edge is quite literally as close to the consumer as you can get. Um, it was in the base station. So when Tommy was saying about the definition of the edge, um, it was quite interesting when I was uh, writing about this, and I promise I will get to the news shortly, um, is that the Broadpeak um, illustrations were showing how their definition of the edge, or at least their kind of partners and customer definitions, can be from the the once you're outside the largest ring of data centers. So as soon as you move into regional points of presence or even uh, sorry citywide um, points of presence you have left the data center you're out of it and you're in the edge but if you um, contrast that with the mobile network operator view of the edge um, it's it's miles away <laughs> it's, you know it's thousands to hundreds of miles of um, cabling between that edge and, and the customer and the point here um, that I'm finally getting to is that Broadpeak has, has released a cash orchestrator product that it is pitching at 5G networks. So as we undertake all of these 5G upgrades to add um, more kind of densification, so more um, small cells and uh, base stations because we're dealing with different types of spectrum that doesn't propagate so well, um, that's an opportunity to add um, content caching for us in the, in the video world. You want to put content caching as close to the consumer as you can. But of course, in a mobile network, your um, customer is moving around a lot. And unlike a fixed network, where you can like fairly accurately model um, expected traffic usage among um, you know a thousand or a hundred thousand customers, and therefore you can put your your caching and um, support uh, resources near them in, in like quite a predictable manner. With the mobile networks, that's not possible. So obviously, you need a way to manage the caching, and that's what this is. It's a it's a very fancy system to dynamically put caching resources. Uh, closest to where your viewers are going to need um, the content because that will give them a better quality of experience. So 
Broadpeak's done some testing. It's partnered with BCOM, which is a kind of French government-supported initiative. Carried out the tests. Um, they've gone well. Uh, I don't think they would have announced them if they'd gone poorly, in fairness. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just something we're kind of keeping eyes on because the video world is increasingly um, moving into the smartphones as being primary viewing devices. Um, in this announcement, um, Broadpeak were pointing to people using um, smartphones inside their home because it got them better uh, quality of service than Wi-Fi. You might remember we touched on like the WBA's um, open roaming stuff, so that's in a, a kind of similar vein. So yeah, it's um it's evolving, and we're going to see more stuff like this. And if you try to do the legacy approach to caching, and if you try to use that in the dynamic and mobile um, world of cellular uh, smartphones, um, you're going to get burnt. You're going to have spent a lot of money on a caching server that gets used you know, twice a month. Or, or rather, gets strained twice a month. So yeah, it's um it's cloud computing efficiency, but for content caching, uh, the network edge. So there we are. I've I've thrown a bunch of buzzwords out, but that's it. That's the end of the long form stuff. Um, and we'll now move on to the the worth noting section. Um, so as is tradition, Rafi, what was happening five years ago? Uh, sticking with the French and Orange gang theme, um, Orange made a strate- strategic investment into a connectivity marketplace called Bandwidth X. Um, which raised some questions as to whether it would move its services to Europe. Bandwidth X was kind of a, it was, uh, it came to life on the prospect of Wi-Fi offload, and it was a trusted neutral marketplace for US tier one operators to privately exchange bandwidth in real time. Uh, Faultline noted at the time that France was the original Wi-Fi offload marketplace. Ilias Free uh, had began by uh, taking Wi-Fi offload from its own home gateways uh, when launching its cellular service, and Orange, SFR, and Voyage Telecom had to quickly follow suit as they all lost a lot of their market share. Um, and it looked as though if coaxed to Europe, Bandwidth X could provide Orange with extra resources to operate more actively in the region. Gotcha. Yeah. Bandwidth X is a, a blast from the past. Um, but yeah, you don't hear much about that anymore. Wi-Fi offload, really. I think it's all done on the CDN side now. Cool. All right, Tommy, um, any other little highlights we want to bring up in, in Worth Noting? Yeah, something that happened while we were taking our uh, summer holiday break was the amino technologies who is a uh, uh, features uh, quite frequently in fault line has changed its name to Atherian. um but the the, the weird part is that the uh, amino technologies is kind of the the umbrella company but amino communications and 24i media which are the two active brands that we cover are going to continue operating under those two names so i don't think much is going to change um from hopefully from a writing point of view and it shouldn't complicate our lives um and and more importantly the uh from the customer point of view i don't think much is going to change but yeah still a still a strange announcement yeah um that's odd i don't know much to add i think that's yeah. cause confusion for us doing googling yeah. down the line so thank you amino very cool yeah um <laughs> finally uh it's my turn to rant about one wave again um so the mission critical, absolutely um, vital to the future of the country's national security, uh, UK government buys a stake. Um, then the Indians have, have joined us via Bharti. They're an equal partner. Cool. That, that'll that surely work. Utelsat buy in. Big French chat like firm. They're an equal partner. OK, I think we're firmly in too many cooks territory here. Um, and now Bharti has exercised an option to buy a majority stake. Um, so Bharti Airtel is now the largest um, stakeholder in the mission critical UK uh, military infrastructure that is OneWeb. Um, 
they've just launched another fleet of satellites and then there was some weird behind the scenes shenanigans which i think was related to this that we'd spotted which was how uh, the uk based um bit of one web was buying up um the the other chunk of an indian one so yeah it's all very messy nothing's ever nice and clean is it there's always <laughs> holding companies and shells and things so mm. yeah bane of our lives i think gents right that's it we're at the end now that was fault line 896 and uh tommy have we got anything lined up for 897 well i think two about two or three weeks ago i mentioned that i was supposed to be interviewing a company called Instreamatic um for a follow-up and i think that that has to be cancelled for various reasons and kicked down the road so that is hopefully happening next week and we'll have a, a good write-up on, on what they're up to and also we should have a, a shout out for Roz who's coming up to Bristol next week who is our our sales guru and and keeps uh keeps us going really um so yeah shout out to Roz see you next week biz dev um <laughs> behind the scenes um wizardry keeps things ticking along um all right then thank you very much everybody um we'll uh we'll see you all next week do remember to go to rethinkresearch.biz if you want to check out Faultline with a, a free four-week free trial you can look at the rethink tv research service there as well got some exact summaries please leave us a little review in the podcasting app of choice and uh if you've got some juicy goss um please email us um you, you should know where to find us hopefully um so we'll see you next week that's bye bye from me Juicy Gus. Cheers then. See ya.